Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Bethany Gilbert, and I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune and Pastor Dusty White of Coram Deo Church, and special guest Kevin Huddleston, also from Coram Deo. On Wednesdays, we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life, and today we're talking about parenting in a transgender world. Parenting in a transgender world. This is obviously a podcast that has a little bit of parents in mind, but also actually the whole church as we think about walking with the next generation and the kids in our church. And as we think about uh, those who are teaching in schools and leading schools, this is just, I think this is the issue right now in the moment. And we're just going to talk about it because Mm -hmm. if you're a parent, you're going to be facing this uh, among your kids. Friends, here, here is the stat. Let me read a couple stats for you. Um, one in five generation Z Americans now identify as LGBT plus whatever the plus means, double the number of millennials and quadruple the number of Gen X. So one in five generation Z Americans, one in 10 millennials, one in 20 Gen X Americans. So either since I was a teenager, four times as many people are LGBTQ or something's going on around us in the society yeah. that's making this very, very, very much a present struggle and challenge for people. And so my hypothesis is that the second is what going is going on. I do not think there's suddenly all of a sudden four times as many people um, being, you know, who have this struggle as much as there's something socially happening yeah. that is suddenly making this uh, rise on the spectrum. Um, I'll read about what I think that is, but Dusty, you had an interesting story. You told yeah. me about taking your kid to college. I was like, well, this is an example of what parents in our, uh, in our Christian context are facing as they go out into the world. Here's the story. Yeah. You mentioned school, you mentioned parenting. Uh, we took our kid to, uh, his new student orientation, I guess. And it's for parents, by the way, it was an all day event. And, um, they're orienting you to what it's like to have your kid go to Yeah. They're like, Hey, one full onslaught of a day, nine to five. Here's what it's like, you know? And I was actually thinking like, Oh, there's going to be some breaks in here. You know? Nope. This is college, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is college is a university setting in Nebraska. Okay. So we're not, we're not highly red state, not on any sort of coast. And we don't uh, coast, (laughs) no coast state. And we get, uh, to the first, you know, major thing. And, the first official person of the university introduces themselves and says, I use, uh, it was a gal and she said, but I use, uh, she, them pronouns or something like that. She, she used her pronouns. So at first I thought, uh, okay, here's somebody who's in this category and they want us to know their pronouns kind of, you know, okay, I'll give you that first person. Second person gets up there, uses their pronouns. Third person gets up there, uses their pronouns. Obviously, there's a theme here. And so basically, Bob, if you worked at Cormdale, for instance, you would say, hey, I'm Bob Thune. I'm the lead pastor of Cormdale. I use he, him pronouns. Hmm. Which, you know, obviously you're thinking in that moment, okay, that's new. And I don't know if you need to be doing that. Yeah, I can see that you're a man and you don't need to present yourself that way. And also, by the way, nobody's asking for your blood type. Yeah, Nobody's asking your social security number. We just see you up there as like somebody who has a position in this university and you're going to tell us what you do next. You work in communications, you work in finance, you know, somewhere. Right. So then they break us into parents groups. They break us into kids groups and that continued. And then they asked us 
to use those to, to say if we were comfortable with our pronouns, right? The theme throughout the day was uh, a few people did it. Uh, my family and I did not do that. And it trickled off throughout the day. Hmm. We were together, you know, like I said, all day. And basically by the end of the day, there was only a couple of people doing that, both in my son's group and then also in the parent group. Hmm. And the people doing that obviously wanted to be doing that. Yeah. And presenting that way. All right. Well, this is, so that experience at a public university in Nebraska is in line with uh, what many, many parents and public school educators are telling me as a pastor about what they're experiencing, especially in the school environment. It seems like education is a hot, is a flashpoint for this. But let me, I'm going to read you from a couple um, articles that we will link with this podcast. This is one that came to my attention. This is not a Christian writer. Uh, it is from a substack called Parents with Inconvenient Truths About Trans or PITT, P-I-T-T. The headline of this article is when a quarter of the class identifies as trans. Let me read to you from this article. I think it's fascinating. It's a parent who's basically raising a question and saying, what in the world is going on? So here's how the article reads. A quarter of the girls in my daughter's class identify as transgender. Seven out of 28. I keep seeing people say that the trans population is a tiny minority, less than 0.1% of the population. If that is true, what is going on at my child's school? What has made the number of trans-identified girls rise to 25%? Here's my theory. This is now the parent saying, here's what's going on at school. The first issue is what the school is teaching children. My daughter's trans identity started when the school taught a module on identity during which they told a group of 11-year-olds that if you feel uncomfortable in your body, it means you are transgender. My daughter had just had her first period two months prior to this class. Of course she was feeling uncomfortable in her body. She went home, looked up transgender on TikTok, and that was it. She was now trans. I want you to just pause and notice what's happening there, right? So you have a, a progressive ideology being taught at school, which is, hey, if you're uncomfortable in your body, it means you're transgender. Uh, and then you have social media, right? I'm going to go home and look on TikTok. And so you have this conflation of something that's being taught that's a particular ideology and then reinforced in, you know, on TikTok. And there you go. You have a kid who's suddenly very confused and identifying as trans. So the second issue the article goes on to say is a related one. And that is to do with the school's non-top, nonstop celebration of LGBTQI plus identities. I used to be proud that my children attended a progressive school that is anti-racist, inclusive, and believes in social justice. We chose the school for these qualities. But in the last two to three years, this has meant a relentless stream of identity flags and rainbows. Transgender heroes are worked into any part of the curriculum that they even vaguely fit. This is a school for kids aged 9 to 13. I'm no prude, but I also don't think a constant parade of sexual politics is appropriate for such young children. The third issue is with how the school is approaching the children coming out. Their official policy seems to be to just go with whatever the kids say without informing the parents. If a child says they have a new name and pronouns, the school just rolls with it, and they create the scenario where an already distressed child ends up cycling through four names in six months. Um, just as a side note here, on that last point, if you're a parent, you, sh you should know that this is the official policy of most schools. I had a school teacher in Cormdale come up for prayer about six months ago. And the, I might've told this story already, but the conversation he had with me was this. He said, hey, my school just told me if a kid in my class 
asks me to use a certain pronoun or says they're transgender, I am not allowed to tell that kid's parents. I have a problem with that as a Christian because I feel like parents should probably know that. What am I supposed to do? And so I I prayed. I was like, that's a great question. That's a terrible quandary to be in. And obviously my, my advice to him was, I think you have to be a conscious, conscientious objector somehow to that policy because I, I don't think you can undermine the authority of parents as a Christian. But what he was saying is my school just told me I am not allowed to tell. I, if, if your kid, Dusty, comes to my school and wants to identify as something else, I can't tell you that that's happening. And so your kid can be something at school that you have no idea is going on yeah. as a parent. But I also have to tell the parents about their grades. Right. <laughs> There's all kinds of other stuff. And they can't vote, by yeah. the way. Yeah. All right. The article goes on. Uh, None of this would matter if it was just about flags and fun identities, but it is not. For my daughter, the name and pronoun change, which we foolishly went along with on the advice of a therapist, was a tipping point into depression and self-harm. It has made her miserable. When I spoke to the school about the harm they are doing, they would not hear it. They told me that they celebrate all identities. They do not see the dark side that we parents do. We are trying to protect our kids from bone-crushing puberty blockers from taking cross-sex hormones when they're too young to have had sex, from having radical surgery on their developing bodies. Some days, it feels like we are holding back a tsunami. I regularly speak to the parents of the other girls. Everyone has had a different response. The one thing that all the parents share is a sense of bafflement. What the bleep is going on here? Why is a quarter of the girls in the class identifying as trans? So that's a, a, a parent who is not a Christian and who, is, who has a daughter who's identifying as trans at the age of 12 or 13, okay? The second article I came across is on the Gospel Coalition, July 6th, 2022, titled Transformation of a Transgender Teen. This is from Sarah Eelhoff-Zilstra, who is a wonderful journalist, and she does a really good job um, following stories. She does a lot of stories like this that are just sort of like deep work into someone's journey. Here's how the um, article begins. Eva was in a church luncheon when she got an email from her 12-year-old daughter, Grace. Their names have been changed. Mom and Dad, I need to tell you I'm not actually a girl, she read. My pronouns are they, them. Eva couldn't breathe. She felt like she'd been punched in the gut. She hadn't seen this coming. Uh, Back then, Eva was sure the statement was going to earn Grace, who attended a progressive public school, some social problems. Instead, it seemed to blow over right away. Uh, The article goes on to share some things that I'll read in a minute. But what I, what I, the reason I think both these articles are interesting is they're both pointing to sort of the situational reality around parents right now, which is your kids are in an environment where uh, they are being told at school and at, on social media and by peers that they might be transgender if, they're, if they experience any kind of discomfort in their body, which do you remember being oh 13? <laughs> I mean, Unreal. who didn't? It wasn't great. Who didn't experience discomfort? Whoever looks back on puberty and is like, you know, that was so That was great. amazing. That was just a, a clear, bright trajectory. I knew direction. exactly who I was yeah. at 13. No yeah. one does. So your kids are in an environment where now what they're being told in all of that uncertainty around puberty is you might be transgender. You're probably transgender. Maybe you're transgender. What if you're transgender? And where that's how they get status. Um, there's a whole social ecosystem right now in the schools. And I, I know this because I talk to tons of teachers and tons of parents and everybody will tell you if you're a misfit or you're not sure where you fit in the one place right now that you get nothing but praise yeah. is if you're, you know, non-binary or transgendered, or if you have some kind of unique distinctions to your pronouns or your gender, that's the place where 
you know, you get nothing but praise and affirmation. Yeah. And so just like when you were a teenager and you're trying to figure out where do I fit, that question right now has a real clear answer in most places. And in most schools, it's like, man, if you're transgender, we will do nothing but affirm you. So the, the transgender movement, this is really important. I could, I could probably go all day on this. It, it used to be athletics. Yep. Like, it, let me just say it this way. This has replaced athletics and academics right yes. now. <laughs> yeah, it has. Where you could have wow. found your, your crowd in the academic world or maybe on the football field or whatever it was. And then there was that middle space of just like, well, these kids don't really know where they fit. They fit there. Right. Uh, let me read further from this TGC article that talks about this girl, Grace's experience. It says, with every step Grace took toward the transgender narrative, she was applauded and congratulated at school and online. When she went public with her transition, she said, it was like eating the Mario Kart ability mushroom. <laughs> you, start to, you start to glow and become invincible. Uh, as a transgender identified male, Grace was suddenly popular. Everyone in the school was like, you're amazing. We love you. She said, all these kids who I'd previously occasionally said hi to in the hallway were going out of their way to say hi to me. I was cool. She was also powerful because she was now a victim. People were so obsessed with victimhood, she said, we'd be in GSA club listing all the ways we were minorities. I started telling people about the tiny sliver of Jewish I have in me because I wanted to be anything other than white. When you claim a transgender identity, you're untouchable, Eva said. Nobody can question you. You can get teachers fired. Adults have to kowtow to you. I mean, that's, that's reality. That's, that's a really helpful part of this article, I feel like, because of the powerful part and the victimhood part. Yeah. Mm. So victimhood is obviously in the culture yep. championed. Yep. But what I want you to... So part of why I'm reading all this is because parents need to understand... This is the matrix that exists in your local school. Um, and this is the matrix that your kids' friends are sort of swimming in. And, you know, so even if you're a Christian parent who's like really raising your kids with a biblical worldview and trying to prepare them for life, you have to understand this is the context you're sending them into. And so, you you know, even if your child is not struggling with gender identity or doesn't say that they are, you need to help them understand how do they navigate a world where this is now what school and popular is you know, being non-binary, being transgendered, and where this this is happening at ages, you know, the the school that um, that the other article mentioned is for kids nine through thirteen, right? That's middle school. Okay, so this is not you know we're not talking about like juniors and seniors in high school. We're talking about twelve and thirteen year olds who you know you're being told, hey, if you're uncomfortable in your body, you might be trans. Um, and so when I, the reason we're calling this podcast "Parenting in a Transgender World" is because I think for the next season of time. This is your reality if you're raising kids. You're raising kids in a world where everything is all of a sudden about transgenderism. And to your point, Dusty, here's, here's what I, I, I like to be a critical thinker and just step back and ask, okay, objectively, what's true here? So let's take the, the first line of that other article that we read. A quarter of the girls in my daughter's class identifies transgender. Okay. So do you think that suddenly transgenderism has become such an obvious, unalterable, physiological, biological phenomenon that suddenly one quarter of youths are transgender. Or, so is that, a, is that an objective biological fact? Or is something else going on here? My hypothesis is something else is going on here. It is simply not true that suddenly, <laughs> while, while when I was in high school or junior high, nobody identified as transgender. Now a quarter of all human beings are transgender. 
that's not something that just happened. Like biologically, physiologically, we're not talking about a change in the nature of human beings. What we are talking about is a very powerful and prevalent social ideology that's reinforced in the same way that, like you said, like, man, maybe if, if it was cool to be in athletics or academics or whatever, this is now the thing that's popular, celebrated, promoted on social media, affirmed, and of and course, nobody can argue with it. And of course, every mm. kid who's asking the question, who am I? This is one of the answers that's being proposed. And it sounds like a pretty, pretty cool answer. Like I can have mm. immediate friends, immediate power, immediate, uh, coolness and, and, you know, find an in-group and be affirmed by all my teachers. And that's a, that's a pretty powerful drug. Yeah. There's a, what you guys are saying is there's a determinedness to, dis, to determining identity that's always been there from the, throughout time. I mean, you guys mentioned middle school and high school and what kind of crowd and in crowd are you in? It was always fun to say like, oh yeah, who am I? Like everyone's asking that question. Who am I? Who do I want to be? Who do I want to be associated with? Uh, so I'm just, it's challenging to sit here and listen to you guys discuss these two things and wonder what's different about this. Like, why does this have so much power? Why does this hooks, you know, nobody, maybe it's just because not everybody can play a certain sport or do acting or whatever the cool club is. Sorry. Confession acting is sorry. I forgot to mention acting. I didn't mean cool, to. Yeah. You know. I was going to say you it. left out all the theater See, nerds I'm sorry of for which I was. Hey, Solid, solidarity brothers and, and the band gigs yeah. choir kids whatever I whatever the in crowd was for you listener uh this just seems like a strange in crowd and i'm just being honest and it's it's to your point anybody can make it into this crowd because you don't have yeah. to play an instrument There's or zero there performance go. there you go okay that's helpful and i think secondly I don't know that there's ever been a moment now, you know, like think about, we've always had our American idol singers and our sports heroes. Like there's always been somebody in the culture. You can say, Oh, I want to be like that person. Mm -hmm. But rarely has there been a moment where the entire narrative all around you says, Hey, if you're this kind of human being, you're like a new, a new blessing to humanity. Like everything stops to affirm you. I, yeah. I didn't even feel that when I was an athlete. I was like, some people hate jocks. Like some people, all the, some of the theater nerds at my school think the football players are a bunch of knuckleheads, you know? So like you never yeah. felt like everyone thought you were right. cool. But I think we're in a social moment where, man, anything that's questioning standard gender and sexuality is now lauded, celebrated, affirmed, you know, applauded, not just at your school, but like right. everywhere in our society. Yeah, right. And the, and the inertia around that, to your point, is massive, which is why like two parents in our church, at least. And if you're listening in, obviously from other places, I just want to say, you know, we joked about it a little sarcastically a moments ago about when you're going, when your kid is going through puberty, it's just, <laughs> you know, the, the phrase of, uh, you're uncomfortable in your body. Well, obviously mm -hmm. I think it's important for parents to just note, you have to have that conversation. Yep. Like you got to get ahead of that conversation and say, Hey, let me tell you what's about to happen. You're yep. about to get uncomfortable in your body, <laughs> but don't go out there mm. to find out how to get comfort. Yep. Let's talk about the uncomfortability. Um, because the culture will help your kid more than ever in this transgender situation, try to find some sort of, uh, elixir yeah. to create comfort. Okay. Let me, let me, I want to mention three things in this article of like, what's cool about this, Sarah, Zilstra article is it's, it's a long form article and what she chronicles is what the parents did and how this girl's journey shaped up. So remember the, the article starts that when Grace was 12 years old, her mom, Eva got an email from her saying, Hey, my pronouns are they, them, uh, 
when Grace was 15 years old, she desisted. That is, recognized her body as female and switched her identity back. So we're talking about a three-year journey here between 12 and 15 where kid identified as transgender. Three years later, kid decided, you know what? I'm not. And so this is the story of how this mom and dad. Long game. Just like, yeah, and hey, they said that in the article, and I circled it, Dusty, because it's yep. like your language. It says, they said, we're playing the long game here. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. Dusty's going to like that phrase. Yep. We're all about playing the long game. I circled that. <laughs> um, so here's, here's what I found in this article that was intriguing. Um, here's what the mom said. The church is the only place that has the freedom to address this. Because the activism around this has been so powerful and well-funded. I think that's an amazing statement. She said, hey, the church is the one place where kids, where we should be able to ask these questions and just like journey. Because the culture only says, hey, you're transgender, end of story. Identify and probably start taking hormones. And you're right. The church is the only place that says, well, you know what? It's okay that you're feeling this confusion. Let's just, let's talk about it. Let's journey together. So there's the freedom to address it in a way that's not already got a predetermined narrative attached to it. That was the interesting thing. The second thing is I want you to hear how their theology shaped their approach. Okay, so mom and dad in this story, again, their names have been changed. But mom and dad um, had had a grounded theological starting point. And I think the parents that I have talked to in our church who have faced similar issues with their kids, one of the foundational questions is just like, what are mom and dad going to believe that's true, right? And here's where mom and dad started. Um, This is uh, later on the article. The wife says, my husband and I talked it through. What do we know about God? We know he created us male and female. Are there true transgender people? Well, if they are, they'd be in the Bible. What about eunuchs? Jesus is certainly aware of bodily brokenness. He acknowledges people born as eunuchs in Matthew 19, 12. But two sexes are his good design. So if we believe God is sovereign and doesn't make mistakes, what does this mean for us? So notice what she's saying. She's saying, hey, we know what, how God made human beings. So she's going back to creation. Created orders. order. Yep. Back mm-hmm. to created order. She's saying, okay, so, and we know Jesus acknowledged sexual brokenness. So we live in a world where our Savior acknowledged that there's sexual brokenness and bodily brokenness in the world. But we also know that God created us male and female. So with those two starting points, that's like grounding their theological approach to this situation with their daughter. Um the, the, uh, another pastor they um, interview in this article says the gender identity conversation is really about the created order. That's, that's mm. what this whole conversation is about. So um, here's a, they quote another pastor, Sam Ferguson, from Falls Church Anglican in Virginia. And listen to this theological um, observation he makes, which is super simple, but also I think changes everything about how Christians approach this conversation. He says this, Martin Luther King Jr. talks about the long arc of justice. The Bible also envisions the long arc of redemption, which aims at the resurrection of the body. There is continuity. The end reflects the beginning. Our creator doesn't need to start over. If your child has an XY chromosome, then he'll be raised from the dead as a male. We need to work along the arc of redemption, not against it. So to your point, Kevin, he's there, he's going to new creation and saying, okay, mm-hmm. how are we going to be resurrected? Let's work backward from there and let that inform how we tackle this current challenge with our child and with their questions about gender. Mm. So I thought it was interesting to see the theological starting point that mom and dad were using and that pastors who are walking with them are using to just say, all right, 
how are we going to tackle this situation? We got to start with what's true about God, what's true about humans, where are we headed, what's true about the the long arc of redemption. Let's let that shape our actual pastoral approach to the situation. Um, all right, here's the other thing that's I'm I guarantee this is gonna this is gonna stir some things up right here. <laughs> here's the other thing mom and dad did um, for their daughter who had identified as, as age 12 at age 12 as transgender. Um, the second worst thing we did, this is quoting mom, the second worst thing we did besides giving grace social media. So I like that. That's the worst yeah. thing they did. Mm, the, worst the worst thing, thing was we let our 12 year old have social media. Mm. The second worst thing we did was let her stay in public school another year. This is because the first rule of getting a family member out of a cult is to physically remove them from it. And basically what mom says is she started doing a bunch of reading on cults because she felt like this, this mm -hmm. gender ideology thing is kind of like a cult. And what she realized is it, it all has all the exact same features. And so she just said, well, the first rule is you physically remove them. Now, again, I don't want you to hear this as saying public school equals bad, but I want you to hear this saying their kid was in a school where all she was getting was affirmation. You're awesome for being transgender. Let's put you in the GSA club. Let's affirm. And so the, she just realized when the, the, the article says, when mom and dad had this daughter home with them over the summer, she kind of was normal and fine and started just, you know, acting more like they understood their daughter to be. And then when she went back to school in August, boom, right back into all of this confusion. And so mom pulled her out of school. And I guarantee I'll get some emails about how this is the wrong answer and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just saying, you know what? When moms and dads have to make hard decisions about their kids, um, that's a courageous thing to do. Yeah. And she goes on to say, hey, changing school is not easy. Yeah. It was no easy. It was right. no easy decision, but it was it was for them the right decision. Yeah. So they pulled her out of the school. Um, they started homeschooling for, for this season of time. Um, and... Mom goes on to say the, I said to the principal that I didn't want my 13 year old daughter in the bathroom with boys. She said, that's our policy. Everyone can use the bathroom they want. And I thought I cannot protect my child at school. So now again, I think this probably varies from school to school and varies based on who the administration is. I'm not saying that every school is like this, but I'm just saying like, if you tell the principal, Hey, you know what? I don't want my daughter in the bathroom with boys. And the principal's like, sorry, that's what they get to do here. I mean, you kind of have some decisions to make as a parent. And so mom and dad, I want you to hear parents, mom and dad in this situation had to be courageous and make some hard decisions that were kind of dramatic and that their daughter didn't immediately like, and that felt like you're taking me away from all my friends, but mom and dad had to do the thing that they felt like, um, was important. The other thing the article goes on to say is that this movement, uh, encouraged their daughter to see anyone who did not affirm her as the enemy. So in fact, she told her parents, if you loved me, you'd, you'd, you'd use my pronouns. To right. Going back to your pronoun right. story, Dustin. Like, yep. Hey, you know what? If you love me, you use my pronouns. If you don't use my pronouns, then you must not love me. Going back to our conversation from last week. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the way that sort of transgender ideology works is, hey, once you identify as transgender, the only option everybody in your life has is they have to affirm you. And if they don't, then they're your enemy. They're a bad person. You should remove them from your life. And I have seen this as a pastor with people in our church who have family members who are identifying as transgender, their family, if, if, if you don't affirm that transition or that journey, the family members basically just sort of like told by the community, by the transgender community, Hey, you need to get that person out of your life. Yeah. Your parents and, are out mm -hmm. to launch. Yeah. And so, so in a sense, relationship just gets shut off, which is really sad. Mm -hmm. 
which yeah. is which is why the cult analogy works yeah because the mm-hmm. cult becomes the new family yeah yeah and it, it highlights how the students response to all of these things was kind of like rage and resentment right but then it goes on to remind the the reader that hey what actually helped change her was the ministry of presence and so just it highlights maybe this is where you're going bob but just her dad sitting with her and having a meal and just his his creating space for her his moving toward her relationally and actually being present and not withdrawn it bothered her but it bothered her in the right kind of way and it, it started to sow some seeds of redemption yeah which is which is huge the loyalty in the relationship and the the demonstration of healthy relationships versus gender focused sexual focused relationship that is key in this article now you can go read the article yourself but basically you know they're sharing their story here again with names changed but they're saying like hey this is our story and they obviously because they have this story interact with a lot of families who are going through this journey, right? So this mom, Eva, gets a bunch of phone calls from people who have a similar story with their kid and they're trying to figure out how do I walk through this. There's two things in this article that are fascinating to me. Um, She says, mom says, it's always the same story. The story is always my child came home and said they were transgender or non-binary. They were on social media. They were invited to the GSA club it's almost like I can tell you the story before they even start talking. She's saying there's always a way this story plays out and it always is kid comes home, says I'm non-binary and there's always been social media involved. So anytime you see that kind of a sort of real consistent narrative, it should, it should make you as a parent go like, yeah, something's up with that, right? There's, there's something reinforcing um, a certain way of thinking. The other thing that's fascinating is mom said the place she had to go to find gender critical resources or transgender critical resources was like to sort of shady blog sites that sort of, you know, it's like kind of those underground communities you can find on the internet that are just, it's like the people who want Dark the alternative web. doctor who's like, okay, I know what M, what WebMD is going to say. Where's like the, the people who actually like say something different and alternative yeah. to that, right? Alternative medicine is kind of similar. There's like a whole internet community. It's like, yeah, if your doctor can't solve this, you kind of have to go figure out what's out there that who are the people that have, have dealt with this. And she said, that's kind of what she had to do was to go online and find, she found these websites that were sort of like run by kind of some crazy sources. But she said, but I read these people and they were saying the things I was feeling, which is like, Hey, this feels like a cult. It feels weird. There's always a real consistent narrative of how this plays out. Um, there's some questions that need to be asked. And so, um, she mentions that, um, she didn't find much help in the church. Um, even though at the end of the day, yeah, that was sad to me. The church was important. She was like, you know, there's the people aren't in our church. Just they didn't, they couldn't help us very much. They like directed us to a counselor, and that's about it. Mm. And so, I just wanted to say, like, man, I I hope for our church and for listeners of this podcast. I was like, let's not let that be the case in our context. Yeah. Let's be the kind of people who care enough about this that we enter in with people and and that we can come around and support them and provide the kind of helpful direction and clarity that they need. I found it interesting. She highlights later her daughter kind of coming around and what that journey looked like as she was walking a dog and kind of resisting the will of the Lord a little bit and saying, Oh, I have to, okay, God, if, if, if you created me as a girl, I'm a girl, I'm, I'm done kind of fighting this fight. And then fine. She says, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, and then she just went back kind of, she came back, you know, there was this. So I think talking about resistance, there was a resistance to the created order. What yeah. you pointed to Bob. And that's, I think the lie that we're buying or that people are buying in this narrative is that's actually where true freedom is going to be found. I get to determine for myself who I am and what kind of 
what kind of gender I am. And that's up to me. It's on my terms, not God's terms. Instead of yielding to uh, the discovered meaning that we have and who we are and who God has made us to be and who Christ is remaking us to be if you are in Christ. And so that's beautiful and that's freeing. And that's a discovery of self in Jesus that actually leads to greater freedom and greater joy and greater release and not constraining into this box, you know, of okay, yes. here's who you are. And I'm telling you now who you are. And it's actually not very genuine to who you are, but it fits the categories. And part of what I want to, what I think needs to happen here, part of the reason I'm doing this as a podcast topic for us today is because I think the church needs to be a little bit of a counterculture here. We need to be the kind of community that says, yeah, yeah, there's another answer to this because um, to your point, the, the only answer the culture is giving right now is, oh, you're probably transgender. There's, there's no such thing as a created reality or your embodied reality. It's just whatever you want to be. And so as the church, instead of just sort of feeling like, ah, that doesn't feel right. I don't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Instead of like inhabiting that space where it's like, ah, I don't know what to do with that. I want the church to be a community of people that says courageously, nope, you're an embodied human being. It's okay that you're having this confusion and these struggles, but here's what's true and we're not compromising on that. So yes. we're going to walk with you toward the redemption of your body. Right. One of the things that mom says here, and this is important for parents to know, especially if you have a kid who might be struggling with this. Um, Mom took her daughter to the school counselor, to the pediatrician and to the principal. And she says, they all tell you, you have to affirm them or your child will commit suicide. But my background is in education and psychology. And I knew that didn't make sense. I could think of 15 reasons other than being transgender, why a young girl might do this. Right. So the, the narrative out there is if you don't affirm it, you know what, you're going to make your kid suicidal. And of course, if you're a parent and you're already dealing with a fragile kid, that's like the worst thing you can say. Cause now you're putting on me the reality of like, shoot, if I do the wrong thing, I might be ending my kid's life. And I just know a lot of parents, it's just paralyzing to yeah, feel that fear. It's fearful. But part of what we have to say, that's why the church needs to be the kind of community that says, no, you know what? It's real normal for 13, 13, 14, 15 year olds to be confused about who they are and where they are. And this is a, this, we all went through this same struggle in adolescence. We just didn't have the language of transgenderism for it. We called it identity confusion and who am I and answering those questions. And so not to minimize the way that this takes shape uh, with sort of a particularly sexual focus, but the church needs to have some courage here to say, you know what? It's okay for you to question your kid's narrative and to push, push them back into creation categories. You are not going to end your relationship with them. You're not going to end their life. You're not pushing them towards suicide. Actually, the most loving thing you can do is to just be present. The ministry of presence, be Mm -hmm. present with your kid and also be a challenging voice. It goes back to last week's conversation about having ethical clarity Mm -hmm. and care. So being able to do both and do both with humility, but courage and yeah, it's, that's the way. I think it's okay. Uh, another way to summarize what you guys are both just saying is to say, Hey, it's okay that you're confused. There's, yes, there's confusion. Yes. Well, I got scripture about confusion, yeah. <laughs> but like the Lord sorts that out. So it's okay. Like if you're, if you're parenting this particular thing, don't be nervous about confusion. People have been confused before. Yeah. Like you can enter into that and bring some order and it might take a while, but the Lord can bring you out of confusion. Psalms would call it disorientation. Right. This uh, Anglican rector from Falls Church Anglican in Virginia kind of has a ministry to a lot of people um, in that part of the country who are on this journey. And this is the story the article ends with. He says about a a year ago, a man in his 60s with gender dysphoria gave him a call. Um, 
and he, you know, he'd gone through three marriages before finally getting surgery to help him identify as a woman. And, um, he had found a talk that this pastor had did on transgender identity on the internet. And he had come to the conviction from God that God had made him a man and that he needed to embrace that. And so, I mean, this is a guy in his sixties who struggled with this his whole life. Who's finally come to the conviction of like, Nope, I need to live in my embodied state as God made me. And so he's reaching out to this pastor saying, basically, thanks for your YouTube video. And the pastor asked him when you were in your twenties, what could I have said to you to get you on the right path? And this guy said, nothing. But what I did need was somebody like you to tell me what was wrong and what was true. So to go back to our conversation from last week, what this guy is saying is in my 60 year struggle with gender dysphoria, I actually needed people saying, here's what's wrong and here's what's true. And ultimately that's what God used to bring me to redemption in this area of my life. And I want, <laughs> I, I want Christians and parents to hear that as to go back to our podcast from last week, having just a clear, bright line around ethics about what's, what's true and what's not true is one of the most loving things we can do for people. It doesn't mean their story is going to change tomorrow, nor does it mean that the, all the concerns in your own life are going to resolve the way you hope. But <laughs> because we live in a world that's created by God, truth actually is our only hope living in and holding to what's true is the only way to really love people. And so, you know, like you said, Dusty, this, the gospel coalition article ends with like a nice tidy bow of like, Oh, this girl came back to herself. And, you know, by the age of 16, she's identifying as a girl again. And she's, you know, she's sort of gone through this chapter and resolved it. And I realized that's not the story of every right, human being. Right. But the, the guy in his 60s saying, hey, but I did need someone to just tell me what's wrong and what's true. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that's what I needed to find. You know, I needed to find your video on the internet and have, and through three divorces and a gender transition surgery, uh, come to my senses. You know, that's what it took. And so um, we can't let our hopes for how we'd like to see stories resolve um, change how we think about reality. We have to say, you know what? Our job as Christians is to hold to what's true. And just to trust that God uses truth over time mm. to change human beings. Sometimes it takes decades, not just days. Yeah. I think there's a few important things that I just want to highlight here that are, that are kind of surfaced in this article, sometimes just really quickly. One is the spiritual disciplines are super important in the home. One of the things this girl mentions is that logic brought me to prayer and prayer brought me back. Mm. And so sometimes we're wondering, like, <laughs> these Bible stories, this prayer time, you know, is it what's even going working? on? Yeah, what what's going on here, you know, with this five-year-old? Well, this girl obviously has some spiritual heritage that she's drawing on based on some spiritual disciplines. So parents keep doing that or start doing that. The other thing is it's important for parents to be unified. The stats are different when one parent coddles up yeah. to the confusion and one parent takes a different approach. So I think one of the things that you see throughout this article is that the parents are unified. Yeah. That is really important. And again, we've already said this, but the social media uh, thing is key. The more normalized social media becomes, the story was I got affirmed out there and I brought it back home. And so parents have, you still can be, <laughs> you can still be a wingnut about social media. <laughs> and it's okay. Like 
it's still out there and it's still speaking to your kids louder than you are in some ways. So still have rules and boundaries around that. And this will be a topic we'll revisit on another podcast. But the final thing I want to add to what you said, Dusty, is just like there actually is a battle for your kid out here. Like nobody wants to think that way. Nobody wants to think like, man, people are trying to like take my kid and turn them into something. But that actually is happening in our society. And stories like this show that. So I don't think any of the adults involved in this story were, were trying to do that. But this is how ideology works. This is how principalities and powers work, right? Is there's this, there really is a battle for your kid's soul out there. Yeah. And so there are parents who are going to need to take drastic action. And, you know, like this parent did, change in schools, change in educational philosophies, you know, doing something radical and different. Um, there's some of that's going to be required. And so you're going to have to have the courage to, you know, swim upstream in a culture that's all flowing the other direction. Right. Um, and the, that kind of courage is good and right and noble. And you as a Christian parent should not apologize for um, leading and loving your kids in ways that honor Jesus. The goal of this podcast is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or a church leader in another context, we thank you for listening in and we pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We love to hear from listeners. So if you have thoughts, questions, or future podcast topics, send an email to podcast at cdomaha.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next Wednesday for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation.